hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. Amen. Uh, one of my, my favourite uh, Christian writers is uh, the late R.C. Sproul. Uh, R.C. Sproul passed away either a year or two years ago, I'm not quite sure. Uh, he's a very, very uh, vivid and accessible writer. And if you've never read uh, Chosen by God or The Holiness of God, then uh, get around to, to buying one of these books and reading them. They're really worth their weight in gold. And in one of them, I think it's possibly chosen by God, he tells of the time when uh, he was officiating uh, in another church, uh, a southern Presbyterian church, at a baptism service. And the church officer told him that when, after the baptism had been done, it was customary in this church to give the child uh, a white rose. And uh, R.C. Scroll answered, and why would that be? And he was told that it was to represent uh, the purity of the child who had just been baptised. And uh, Sproul pointed out that that was actually running in the very opposite direction of baptism itself. That none of us are born pure and that the the youngest child uh, is uh, tainted by sin um, and needs to be washed from sin, which is the whole uh, symbolism of baptism. And you can be quite sure that on that occasion at least there were no white roses given out at the end of the baptism service. Well, our text this morning is often quoted in the context of uh, baptizing children or babies. I don't think it's by any stretch the most important verse. Uh, I think if you want to think through the biblical basis for baptizing uh, believers and the children of believers, then uh, you'd want to, to study the continuity of uh, circumcision and baptism, the continuity of the covenant of grace, um, the covenant is one of grace in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And uh, we see an expansion. We see uh, more being brought into the covenant instead of simply uh, male children. We have girls. We have adults. Instead of simply Israelites, we have uh, all races being brought in. And the story we have uh, with Jesus warning against excluding the children is salutary uh, if we think that uh, in the new covenant, children would be excluded from having the sign which they were privileged to have in the Old Testament. Now, there are, of course, big differences in uh, the social culture in regard to children between uh, Jesus' day and our day. Uh, Many differences. Uh, Most children would have been brought up in secure families in the first century Israel. Uh, However, they would have had a very, very low social position they would have been seen as being really not that important or insignificant on the social scale. Uh, In our own culture today, uh, it's very different. Uh, It's kind of polarised, I suppose. Sometimes uh, children are virtually bringing themselves up, but if they're not, they can uh, become idolised. They can be uh, treated uh, in such a way that they develop a sense of entitlement and 
uh, discipline is withheld and every demand is caved into it. And that is wrong also. It's the other end of the, the spectrum. But Jesus is warning, he's reacting against the notion that the disciples have that the children are too insignificant for him to be bothered by them. Let's take a little step back and ask ourselves, what's actually going on here? What's taking place in this encounter uh, between Jesus and uh, the disciples? It's often assumed that it's mothers who took their children to Jesus. In fact, the word uh, they in the passage is is a masculine word, a masculine word which can denote uh, men and women. So it's very likely it was was, uh, fathers and mothers that that came. And the NIV that we use uh, correctly translates it as people. People were taking their children. Or people were taking babies. Uh, In Mark's version, the word used is a word which could speak of young people probably up to the age of 12. Luke is more specific and uh, uses a word which is a word which is used of babies or infants. What were they wanting Jesus to do? They wanted him to touch them, verse 15 tells us. And the sense is uh, uh, laying on of hands an act of, of blessing which involved the laying on of hands. And in Mark's version, uh, the story occurs in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And Mark tells us that Jesus uh, took the children in his arms and touched them and blessed them. The background to this is probably a tradition that there was amongst the, the rabbis, whereby on the Day of Atonement, Uh, they would receive uh, children brought to them in order to be blessed. Here we have quite significant, as we'll see later, parents electing to go to Jesus rather than the rabbis. And this was something which happened continually. This was not a one-off occasion. Uh, The the tense is imperfect. It kept on happening. They were continually bringing Uh, babies to Jesus to bless them. Okay, essentially there are two points that I want us to to notice from the passage. Two main teaching points. And the first is, we are to let children come to Jesus to be blessed and not hinder this happening. And secondly, uh, we ourselves who are adults are to enter the kingdom of God In the same way as a child receiving Jesus' blessing. Okay. First of all then, we are to let the children come to Jesus. Important to be quite clear. What the passage is not saying and what it is saying. Uh, It's actually not saying that we are to teach our children the gospel and encourage them to come to faith. Now, of course, that is true. That's absolutely true. Uh, You would be quite rightly astonished if I was to deny that. I mean, the whole reason that we have holiday clubs and uh, we speak to the children and we have Sunday schools is that we are encouraging them uh, to believe the gospel and to trust in Jesus. Uh, That's not something that causes any kind of disagreement. We're all on the same page there. 
But it's not the point of the passage. And the point is whether infants are to receive the sign of blessing from Jesus. And of course that immediately becomes relevant to baptism, which is the sign of belonging that Jesus has instituted. Now, Jesus, of course, did not baptise children here. There's no mention of water being involved. But that, in a sense, is beside the point, because Jesus never baptised anyone, never baptised adults or children. And the question is whether the action of Jesus here has a relevance to the practice of baptism and in particular the baptism of believers' children. And many scholars believe that it has a relevance, and we're going to look at that briefly together. One of the clues, uh, which is not immediately obvious and you would only pick up if you were this morning reading from a Greek New Testament, and I suspect there aren't many of you that are doing that this morning, but uh, the clue would be the word hinder. Uh, There's a word koloite, which uh, is hinder or prevent. And it's, I think it's very interesting, but the scholars point out that it is associated throughout the New Testament with baptism. This particular word crops up in the context of, of allowing or preventing baptism. It's a kind of technical word. For example, you find it in Acts 8, verse 37, where the Ethiopian asks, what is to hinder this word? me being baptised. You find it in Acts 10, where uh, in Cornelius' house, Peter asks, can anyone hinder these people from being baptised? Acts 11, verse 17, again, hinder from being baptised. And in the Gospels, we have it in Matthew 3, 13, where John is said to hinder, or seek to hinder, Jesus from being baptised. It's a kind of technical word, and here in Luke, uh, the author is using it as a kind of signal to say that this passage has application to the the context of baptism, which is what the early church uh, saw and used this passage uh, in the context of baptism. What's relevant is the fact Jesus is asserting that the place of the children of believers uh, is in the kingdom of God. The statement, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, has to be taken at face value. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that the kingdom of God belongs to people who are like these children, but not to these children. That would turn uh, on its head what Jesus is saying. But that's what essentially uh, people do when they say that uh, Jesus is pointing to childlike faith but to a faith uh, that obviously the, the, the babies present wouldn't have because they were too young. Jesus goes and he gives the sign uh, of blessing to the children. He's not using the children as a symbol with the intention to exclude them. That wouldn't make sense. Does that mean then that if you are baptised simply on the basis of there being children, uh, it would lead to indiscriminate baptism. You know, I can be baptised simply because uh, I have a a baby. You know, the, the, the baby in itself, babyhood becomes a qualification. Who are the parents who are taking the babies to Jesus? 
They're the parents who've, rather than go to the, the rabbis, have elected to go to Jesus. They're the parents who are saying, instead of standing over there, we will stand over here. We're coming to Jesus. And we're presenting our children to Jesus that they might receive his blessing. It's a coming in faith. And then there's a significance of the blessing that Jesus gives. Uh, Later on, when we baptize Noah, we'll be talking about the fact that baptism is a covenant sign. The word covenant is very important. God makes promises to people. Um, He brings us into a covenant relationship, a relationship of stability, of promise, of security. And just as uh, baptism is a covenantal sign, a sign of promise, Jesus' action here is deeply covenantal. Mark tells us that Jesus took the babies up in his arms and touched them and blessed them. That very act, actually, of bearing up in his arms, to people who are steeped in their Old Testament, sadly, we are not as steeped in our Old Testament as Jesus' audience were. But that has echoes of what God was said to do to Israel Exodus 19.4, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and drew you to myself. There's a lovely picture of God the Father bearing up his son to himself. Out of Egypt have I called my son and God bearing up his son in his arms. Hugely symbolic when it's done by the Saviour. Jesus, the one to whom the Exodus is pointing. He's the true Moses. He's the one who leads people out of bondage into freedom. And he recognises his children and he bears them up and he draws them to himself. That's what Jesus is doing to these little ones. It's a kind of covenantal action. And then we think about the, the fact that Jesus blesses them. Now that's another really significant word, uh, expression. To bless is a covenantal uh, act. Uh, in, when God makes covenants, there is blessing for those who walk in his way, for those who keep his covenant, and curse for those who do not. And the gospel tells us that the covenant was kept because Jesus became a curse, voluntarily came under the curse that we might become blessed. So, it's a covenantal thing to bless. It's a covenantal context that we're seeing here. He's saying they belong to the kingdom of God. They belong to that that area where the blessings of God can be found. That's what Jesus is saying. (coughs) Now, You wouldn't build uh, the whole framework of of baptism on this one text. It's one of the texts. It's one of the foundation stones where you see the logic of it all. That children of believing parents are to be brought to the place where the blessings of God are to be found. That they belong to the kingdom of God. What is the place where the blessings of God are found? 
It's a kingdom where they're prayed for. Uh, It's a sphere where they hear the word of God being read and preached and proclaimed. Uh, And so we baptize the children of believing parents who do exactly what these parents are doing, who bring their children to Jesus for blessing because they are members of the kingdom of God. That's the first point, that we are to let the children come to Jesus to be blessed and not to hinder. But the second point that Jesus makes is a kind of application of it all. He speaks now to the the adult audience in front of him and says, unless we receive the kingdom like little children, we cannot enter it. Jesus' action with the the babies is a dramatisation of what it is to be saved. And it's important to notice that Luke in his Gospel places this very little um, uh, section, this three-verse section, in between uh, two stories which have to do with entering the kingdom, uh, with being a disciple, with about being saved. So before we have Jesus and the children, we have the, the, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and then we have the meeting of Jesus with the rich young ruler. Both of them have to do with entering the kingdom of God, just as what Jesus is saying about the children coming is about entering the kingdom of God. So in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, there are two men who who are very different, contrasting characters, and they're going up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stands for uh, a religious man who uh, outwardly at least has got everything right. You know, he's always in the temple. Go to the temple, you'll see this guy there. Uh, He is super disciplined in his spiritual life. He fasts, gives a tenth of everything. He's tithing the herbs in his garden and so on. And when this man prays, we're told he's praying about himself. He's reciting his good works. And on the other hand, there is a tax collector. And Jesus chooses a tax collector because they were, they were pretty despised. They were right at the bottom rung of the ladder because... A, they worked for the Roman authorities, and B, they often took more than they should when they were raising taxes. So here's, here's the guy who is really right on the outside. If the Pharisees, and the in, he's an insider religious-wise, the tax collectors, definitely not. And he can't even look up to heaven. And his prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then we have the account of Jesus and the little children And then on the other side of that, we have the encounter with the rich young ruler. Now, this young man has got everything going for him. He's got youth on his side. He's got plenty of money. And he's respected in the community. He is ruler of the local synagogue. And he comes to Jesus with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And as he speaks with Jesus, it becomes clear that he considers himself quite a, a moral person and, and pretty much is assured that because he's kept the law from his youth, his good life in some way commends himself to God for acceptance. And Jesus very skillfully points out to him that even his best efforts 
leave him coming up short. And then it's his attachment to money that Jesus exposes so that he walks away sad. So the whole section, uh, including the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, the children coming to Jesus and the rich young ruler, they're all about how we enter the kingdom of God. All about how you become a disciple. not people like the Pharisee or the rich young ruler who enter, but people who come empty, like the tax collector. They are the ones who are accepted. And the principle of how you enter is shown, Jesus says, by this drama of parents carrying their infant children to Jesus. That's how it happens, he says. Not by reciting your good deeds in the temple. Now Jesus, again, what's he not saying? What is he saying? Jesus is not saying that you must be humble like a child. And if you're humble, you'll enter the kingdom of God. In any case, children are not particularly humble. Have you ever noticed that? Humility is not really an outstanding characteristic of most children. Uh, Nor is it that you must become trustful or receptive, or imaginative, or whatever other attribute we think children have. And the reason is, if you made these things, if that was the the reason, they would become, you know, works. It really would make faith a work, you know, being receptive or trustful or whatever. No, the point that Jesus is making is in the helplessness of the children. They didn't make their way to Jesus. They were carried to Jesus. They were born helplessly by their parents. They are weak and helpless. In the eyes of the world, they're unimportant. They're regarded as insignificant. And the cue that we are to take from the little children is that if we are to enter the kingdom, it wouldn't be by any force of of my own goodness that will allow me to enter. Any imagined merit that I might have. In any case, these are all kind of illusory. Enter the kingdom of God is to allow yourself to be given it because you know that you cannot claim it as your entitlement. To enter the kingdom is to realize that all we can say in the end of the day is to say with the tax collector, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, don't let this message be lost on you. You need to admit your helplessness before God. And you need to jettison your idea that you are good enough for eternal life. And you need to receive forgiveness and healing and wholeness. You need to receive all the goodness of Jesus, the the beauty of his perfect life, which is credited to those who come with empty hands. Now that sounds like quite an easy thing to do. It sounds like, you know, a a no-brainer just to receive. But actually, it is the hardest thing for any of us naturally to do. There is something in us whereby every fiber in our being cries out against the idea that God will equip me for heaven. No, I want at least to contribute part of my entry ticket. I want to say, well, I may not be the best 
but I live a decent life. And I, at least I'm sincere in my efforts. And in the end of the day, that has to count for something. And God says it counts for absolutely nothing. And we rebel against that. We recoil against the idea that God will not allow us to bring anything and say, this is part of my entitlement to heaven. And that's why Jesus says, unless you become like a little child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Absolute hope, helplessness and dependence is what is required. We come to God with nothing in our hands. We come to God not with our fullness but with our emptiness. We come to God not with our credit but with our liability. And we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. I've got nothing. Nothing in the tank. Nothing in the balance. And I look to you. For everything. And the wonderful thing is that the Jesus uh, who invites you to do that, if you're, if you're not yet trusting, is the Jesus who welcomed little children. It's this God who is so gracious, uh, who will not shut you out who will not prevent you coming, but will welcome you and will receive you and will keep you. And all you must do is to come as a little child. May God bless to us his word. May it come alive within us and may we respond as we should to him. In Jesus' name, amen.